If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I'm excited for you to meet Kate Ryder, founder and CEO of Maven, the largest virtual clinic for women and family health. Kate founded Maven in 2014, reimagining healthcare for women and families from the ground up after seeing how the lack of access to care impacted those starting a family. Maven offers virtual care and services across fertility, maternity, and pediatrics, and operates the largest women's telehealth network globally. Named number one most innovative healthcare company by Fast Company, Maven has supported over 10 million families across 175 countries and has raised more than 200 million in venture capital. Prior to founding Maven, Kate has worked as an investor and as a journalist writing for The Economist and The New Yorker. Kate has been named to Fortune's 40 Under 40 and Fast Company's Most Creative People. She received her BA from University of Michigan and her MSc from the London School of Economics. And with that, let's welcome Kate. First of all, Kate, it's so nice to see you. I'm so happy to get to be with you. Kate, to keep it simple for everybody out there that's listening, what is Maven in your own words? And walk us through the original idea to get this business up and running. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, really excited to be here today. So I started Maven eight years ago, and really what we were solving for were all of the gaps in access to care for women and families. I think it's pretty clear for so many people out there who are parents or mothers that we do not have a system that was built for our kind of unique needs around this uh, really transformative time in life when you build a family. And so um, so eight years ago, that was kind of the crux of the idea. I had just turned 30. Um, a lot of my friends started having kids. I now have three kids, uh, have, have been through the Maven product three different times. The way our product works and, and what we do is we're a virtual care platform where we have a lot of different specialists, um, over 30 types actually, across fertility, pregnancy, parenting, and pediatrics. And so, you know, when somebody is kind of going through IVF or they're going through pregnancy, they always have Maven to go to 24-7. So we're, you know, we operate through the night on the weekends with either a kind of a, a care advocate who's helping you navigate the bricks and mortar system or all of the virtual providers like lactation consultants or doulas or reproductive endocrinologists, pediatricians, mental health providers that can really um, help support you in all of those moments outside the doctor's office went because so much is going on, obviously, when you're, when you're building your family. So first of all, uh, one of my things I'm most proud of you for is you were really super early to telehealth and we're going to get to COVID after this, but you were early to thinking about how do we make it easy for you to access your doctors? Talk through that now in the rear view mirror. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, it's something that our team is really proud of. At the time, eight years ago, telehealth was, you know, there were a few big companies, some of the ones that are still there today, Teladoc, Amwell, MD Live, 
but they were all focused on primary care. And what was so interesting is that when you actually lift up the hood and you looked at who a lot of those their users were, they were women. And so one of my first big questions when I was talking to um, a lot of, of, of women's health providers is like, why aren't you on these platforms? And why aren't these platforms, if they're serving the female consumer, why aren't they actually serving like one of our biggest healthcare experiences, which is, which is building a family? And I, the answers I got were like, we will build that platform then. Um, and, and so I think the, the reason telehealth also is just, um, you know, I think so obvious now, and, and it was not as obvious before COVID, is that one of the big things we have to do in America is increase access to care while reducing costs, because we have a really, really bloated system. The only way to do that is, is through virtual care and technology. And so I think that just the massive power of, of telehealth and where it can reach and, and how you can drive so much more access to patients who really need it while actually reducing costs is, is really powerful. One of the things that I, having known you now for a long time from afar, I was blown away. You have serviced over 10 million families. I mean, that's wild. Really, Kate, that's such an incredible accomplishment. Can you talk a little bit about that early user acquisition and what has worked to get you to get to such great volume and scale in a relatively short period of time? Sure. I think it's nice you say it's a short period of time. It feels like a very long time. Um, Eight years is nothing in in startup land. So the early days were really tough. So so basically the way our business model works is we started D2C. Then as we evolved, we then sold, you know, we started selling to employers. Now we sell the health plans. And so you know, we haven't pivoted. It's always been part of our, our, our model. I mean, our, our B2B product was in our earliest pitch decks. Um, it's just that when you work within healthcare, you know, we believe that you have to innovate from within. You have to work with the big healthcare giants to reach to reach people and, and, and change um, and drive impact. And so, you know, our user acquisition really has been all about kind of, you know, as, the, as we peel back the onion, we, we get access to more and more users. And so in the very beginning, when it was just D to C, I mean, that was, that was rough. It was 2015 and 2016 where no one knew what telehealth was. You could not put it on an ad that was at all cost-effective. No one was clicking on it. And so we, uh, we were just boots on the ground. We just showed up to parks and we went like, we're like, well, we live in New York city and there's 10 million people here. And so clearly we can find some people in this city to be our early users. And so our team, um, we did a lot of field marketing. We we hired people off of Indeed or Upwork is another platform that we would use. And then we would pay like, you know, them to go basically recruit users because again, it was user behavior change. And so it was, you could not just, it was really hard to just put that on an ad. I mean, it's, it was always easier. The best ads were always just about birth control because that's a very straightforward transaction. But if it's about a virtual service, that was just much, much harder. Um, but then where it really, really where the acquisition and all the user growth started to come from was when we started signing these big employers. And so, you know, in the last 12 months alone, we've launched uh, five Fortune 15 employers. We work with national health plans. And so given that they offer Maven for free um, to their membership, that obviously drives um, a, a ton of, of acquisition. And then we have been global from day one. Um, and so some of that um, user base is also, you know, we are global with our clients. We're global, you know, used in over 175 countries. So that also um, helps our, our user numbers as well. Kate, one of the things that I, I really admire about what you've accomplished from afar is Maven began as a D2C business and then shifted to a B2B2C business. And I think 
some of the best founders just constantly keep iterating and uh, learn best way back in the day, direct to consumer. And then we realized scale came from going through big employers. Talk a little bit about that transition. And was that incredibly obvious? Was it intentional? Did it happen because all of a sudden you realized, oh my goodness, we can go so much farther and so much faster? But walk us through that transition and how you really thought about that as the CEO. Great question. I mean, I think we started at a really uh, lucky time where some of the early digital health companies like Omada and um, Ginger, I mean, they had gone consumer and they were realizing that the employer market was really ripe, that they were going to buy these services for their employees. And it was just a really great kind of product market fit, go to market. And so I had been working in venture capital and one of the companies, I was at Index Ventures and one of the companies that Index had invested in big health led by the amazing Peter Hames. Um, I, I watched him do that pivot back in 2013, 2014. So when we started um, Maven, it was really all about, we know that the employer market is where a lot of the innovative digital health companies are going. Omada was starting to then sell there. But, you know, also D2C could provide, you know, some of that early traction in the products so that we really understand what our users like, what they don't like, and really understand the value that we're providing. And so, so that was really, um, that was really how we thought about it. So employers was always the way we were going, but I think that D2C phase of growth was really important to just build a culture and a product that was very much a, with a big C, a consumer. Like our, our product is all about the consumer, but um, our go-to-market is B2B. Kate, as someone who's, and I'm going to say that you prevailed uh, when you're servicing 10 million families, that we're at the point where we can say you've really accomplished something pretty, pretty, pretty wild. Healthcare is hard. It's hard. It's like, it's intimidating. It's what do you think has been the hardest part of innovating in healthcare now that you kind of rewind eight years and you look back at everything that you built? And again, remember, so many of the founders listening, so many of the people listening are business people thinking about building into healthcare. So give us your best tidbits on like, what's been the hardest part for you? To me, the hardest part has been mindset. I think that, you know, at the, the mindset of so many people working in technology and, and startups is just optimism and speed and innovation and, um, and, and impact, really. Um, and I think when we first started entering the, the B2B side, you know, healthcare, um, I was just constantly put off by the fact that doing the right thing for the patient was not always how people would act. And there was just some stories where, um, you know, they, people were actively not doing the right thing for the patient because that is how the system is designed, right? In a fee-for-service system, it is not about the patient. And so that was, I think, really difficult because we wanted to innovate from within. We wanted to partner with all of these companies. And yet, we have a product that's for the patient and that was not compatible sometimes with some of these really big players. And so in the very early days, you know, what was frustrating was like, are, is this actually going to work? Because the D to C economics don't work, the B to B economics do, but, you know, we were always aligned with employers, but with health plans and health systems, sometimes there is not that alignment. And I think what really changed, um, not just for us, but for all of, all of digital health is when COVID hit, all of a sudden, and in this whole kind of shift in healthcare from fee-for-service to value-based care, 
all of a sudden, one, the patient and the consumer matters again. And then two, COVID has accelerated the pace of change in healthcare. It was like walking through sludge sometimes, you know, so dramatically. And it still feels slow, but um, but it's like definitely not as slow as it was five years ago. And um, and and that also has, I think, really helped open up kind of the 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 more traditional players' eyes that digital has to be part of the strategy and it has to be part of the strategy now. It can't just kind of evolve there over time. And, you know, maybe we, they can keep trying to build their own products that don't really work that actually like they have to deliver for patients. Um, and so that's been, I think a, a really exciting point that we're in right now as a business, because we've put in so much work for the last, you know, seven years to get to a point where we have an amazing, I mean, I can say as a, a user through three pregnancies and one miscarriage, we have an amazing platform. We have amazing providers that we work with. And now we can actually handle the scale um, in, and, and partner with all of these bigger companies and, and truly start to change mindset when it comes to women's and family health, which um, you know was not as easy in the early days. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Cardin knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. So I want to just talk as somebody who's now lived for, for being really prescient and really leaning into telehealth before it was a now literal booming category. Um, you've lived through COVID. You're at the helm of a massive healthcare business, servicing families and, and, and women quite powerfully in, in, in a very differentiated fashion. I want you to give us some of your predictions. If you fast forward five years, 10 years, for everybody out there who's not only staring at your swim lane, what's obvious to you that will exist in five to 10 years in the realm of healthcare and how, how could that look differently? Sure. Well, maybe I'll take it in, in two different directions. One on the consumer side. So like what we feel as patients and then the other on the um, business model side. So on the consumer side, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty obvious. The digitization of, of healthcare is here. The, you know, they, I think we call it the, re, I don't know, I've heard so many with phrases thrown around, right? Like the consumerization of healthcare, the retailization of healthcare, um, but I think because there, we're in this, this unique window where the pandemic has completely upended the healthcare system, the silver lining, I mean, there's a lot of terrible things that have happened, but the silver lining is that the digitization is here. And if people weren't as interested in, you know, moving fast to make this change, they are now. And so I think as a consumer, you know, things like telehealth, things like finding a doctor and booking an appointment online talking to your doctor over message. Like this is all new. Like it's, it's pretty amazing. Five years ago when I had my first child, like I couldn't get into my own EMR. I couldn't send notes to my doctor. Everything was, you know, analog, like, you know, and, and even in that five years um, now with my youngest, who's one, that experience was totally different. That I think will get better and better and better. And that actually puts the consumer more at, at the center of the experience, um, more so than ever before. 
On the business model side, I think this whole notion of fee-for-service to value-based care is here to stay. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest trends over the next five to 10 years. I think all of the digital health companies that just IPO'd over the last you know, 18 months, they IPO'd because they had they were kind of leaders in their respective categories from a digital standpoint. I think if you IPO in two to three years in healthcare, you have to talk about what your value-based care story is if you're in certain segments of healthcare, like we are like care delivery, because you know that the healthcare system is not sustainable to just all be fee for service. And, and what this means, by the way, in, in real like normal talk is like that people are incentivized health systems, doctors to do more surgeries, not make patients healthy. And, and they're incentivized to make money at the expense of health. And so those incentives just have to change. And so that that is what kind of this idea that you make more money when you make patients healthier um, is what uh, is, is, is where the whole industry is going. And so that's really exciting. And I think um, that's, you're going to see so much of that in the next five to 10 years and across every company, every company is thinking about that right now. I love that. So, I mean, first of all, that's a massive win for all of us. If you had to think about one incredible innovation that maybe we would feel, you just discussed some of these things that I think are, it's sort of wild when you're like, you couldn't text with your doctor, you couldn't analog, you couldn't access your own electronic medical records. If you think about one of the things you hope happens in, in five to 10 years, some sort of amazing piece of it, like tangible innovation, what do you think that could be? What we look at at Maven is that the personalization that is so needed in a one-size-fits-all model um, is is not here, but can be here. Because as we use more digital platforms, that opens up the door for these systems and these technologies to really better understand us. And 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 you know, if you think about Amazon, the way we all use Amazon, you know, we're all get. I'm getting served like different kids' clothes and different like things to buy all day long, and then I buy them all day long, and it's so efficient. And like, I mean, my, I think I'm so thankful for Amazon and how I live my life as a very busy mom and busy CEO, right? And and Amazon makes it so easy for me because the experience is so personalized. Healthcare should be like that. Um, and so I think we're moving to that point where you know, if I need specialty care, what doctor should I go to? How much does that cost? What should I know? What's right for me? I mean, if, you know, coming into specifically our category, fertility, pregnancy, you know, everyone has their own medical experiences and histories. Everyone has their own lifestyles and, and you know, context that they live in. So who is the right clinic for them? Who is the right doctor to help manage that big experience? And so we're, we're just at the beginning of that. And that's what I hope we'll all kind of feel in the next five to 10 years. I love that. Kate, so I want to transition a little bit to you. Uh, and there's a few tidbits in here I'm really excited about, so I want to try to get through them all. Um, first of all, I read that your dream as a child was to open a restaurant. So clearly there was some sort of really entrepreneurial early knack there. Um, I would love to just get a sense of like, when did you really realize you were a deep entrepreneur, especially because you started your career as a journalist working for literally the top publications. You worked for The Economist, The New Yorker, so did you always know you were an entrepreneur? Was it a side door to journalism that got you back? Walk us through that. Sure. I think I, I've always been an entrepreneur, but I resisted it for a long time because my dad's an entrepreneur. And of course, I was a, a, a little bit of a rebel. And so I was like, you know, he's like, you would be a great entrepreneur. And I'm like, you know, I'm never going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a journalist. You know, like, you know, you should be an econ major in college. No, I'm going to be an English major in college. You know, like you should go work in uh, a company. No, I'm moving to Spain and I'm going to be a writer. Um, so there's a, a little bit of that, which I think is also very entrepreneur-like, you know, you don't really have a boss. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> anyways, so I, th- I think um, journalism was wonderful. I, I so loved my, um, my years doing that. And I think one of the things that was very entrepreneurial about it is, you know, I was working as a journalist in a changing media landscape where, you know, in 2007, when I was working for The New Yorker, I mean, we still had cars. Like I was like a lowly kind of uh, fact. No, I wasn't even a fact checker. That was a much better job. I was like a night copy editor, but we still had cars that would come pick me up and bring me to wherever we, I could order whatever food I wanted. On, and, and that is like media like changed overnight in 2008 with the financial crisis. And so that all went away. And I think the business models got really challenged. And so living as a journalist through that time, you did have to be really scrappy and entrepreneurial because you were constantly pitching your stories and, and trying to, you know, make enough money for rent by writing for a lot of different publications. And so, um, you know, I, I reported from Singapore and London and um, New York. And and then finally, um, I start tried to start my first business off the back of one of my stories in Singapore. And it felt so right. I mean, it, I love journalism and reporting because I love finding the story and 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 meeting all of these different people. What I love so much about entrepreneurship was this idea that you could still find the story, but then you would create a product to help solve the problem versus just you know writing about it. And so that was what um, got me super excited. And so you know, a few tries, a stint in venture capital, and and um, eventually Maven. Maven is more so. I definitely, um, I, I, it took a while for, for me to like find my way to Maven. It took years actually, once I kind of had realized that I, 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 I'm a good, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I I was pretty good at it. So, and then, um, I'm very obviously happy, but I I still do sometimes, you know, see my journalist friends or I'll, I'll meet journalists and there's a little bit of nostalgia because it's a, it's a great job. That's awesome. Um, I want to ask a question because now you're a, a parent of three what would you say your parents did that you attribute to making you special? Well, I don't know. If they think they always made me feel like I wasn't special, which is probably a good, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They're wonderful parents. I'm actually, um, so I think probably the best thing is, so in the summers, we used to um, go to a lake in the Adirondacks and we had no TV, no, not, we didn't even really have neighbors. And it was just uh, all about, I was there for three months and it was all about family time and kind of imagination and self-reliance. And so I think what that did is it, it made me kind of, you know, my, my husband always jokes that I'm a very confident person. And I think it's because you know, having this, this time for three months a year where it was just all about making your own fun and playing with your, I've, you know, two, a brother and a sister and two cousins who were there with me. And, and yeah, I just, you know, you just kind of live your own life and you live in your own worlds where all, we, all of uh, my siblings and I, we, we all kind of live in our own worlds, um, which is, I think a good thing. All of our worlds are our happy places and we're pretty creative and we, we know we could sit in a room and we could find, we could figure out a way to make it fun. So I, I think I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I think it also gave us a really solid foundation of family. And so, you know, even the last uh, seven years, you know, having three kids and scaling Maven, my family keeps me grounded. My, my mother and father help with the childcare a lot. Um, and, uh, and, and we all have, have fun together too, because of these months at the lake. Which brings me to my last question for you. And I, by the way, as you were talking, I was like cutting the cord of our television uh, for where we spent the summers, like immediately. One of the things I deeply loved and agree with, but I want to just get a sense. um, I, I love that you've said in the past that founders need to maintain a sense of humor 
and fun along the way because it's inevitably such a hard path. Any tricks, any anything you can share that helps keep you sane around humor and fun? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, first it's the people you work with, right? So I think um, I, making sure that like the people you are, the company culture and the people you're bringing on, that they have a, a good sense of humor. Um, Saturday Night Live, it's very, I watch it every week. So do I. Yeah, yeah. I also think um, April Fool's Day is a really important annual tradition. We actually just have played an April Fool's Day joke yesterday on the on our exec team, our CFO and head of people and I. Um, it was really, uh, you know, it, it was funny. I think everyone was very surprised. <laughs> and so I think always kind of finding those opportunities to, to bring that humor in um, is just so important because this is, as you know, very well, a very intense journey full of the ups and the downs. And so, you know, to, to, to bring it down for a second and, and to all laugh is just, is so important. I love that so much. You're also reminding me that April Fool's is this weekend. And exactly. It's Friday. I'm really thankful for that. Last question. You're a mom of three. You're working really hard. You're just, there are only so many minutes in the day. Is there any hack that you can pay it forward to people that you just swear by that helps you stay sane? Anything. It can be a workout hack, an exercise, a sleep one, but the thing that keeps you sane. Hmm. The thing that keeps me sane. Um, hmm. So I actually have fun with my kids. I'm like a five-year-old at heart. So the, I would say that the hack is, um, is playing a lot of my, uh, childhood games that I used to play like sorry and life and guess who and crazy eights. Um, so I, you know, we were, we've taught our kids how to play that. They're only five and four, but they're great at it. And so we, we play that. I think, um, children's literature too. It's like a nice escape. Um, and it's so fun to connect with your kids. So we're, we're just finishing all the Roald Dahl books. And so I think that those are nice moments in the chaos to kind of like slow down and connect and do something that I also have fun doing. And then, uh, and then back to the craziness. I love it. Um, okay, Kate, I'm going to ask a few quick questions. First answer that comes to your mind, you're just going to tell me favorite book that you've come back to again and again, there's only one. What is it? Oh, about like business. Um, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be a business book. Any book that has changed your life. Any book that's changed my life. Um, some of the books I used to carry around um, when I was like a writer would be uh, Catcher in the Rye. I love The Gathering and and Write. Uh, business books. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the, the Ben Horowitz book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, I do recommend. Um, I... Uh, Play Bigger is another one that I'll often recommend some of the um, new executives who come to kind of, you know, have category leadership um, top of mind, but knowing the craziness of a startup, particularly people who are new to startups. So anyways, hopefully that's helpful. That's perfect. What do you like to ask people when you're interviewing them to determine whether or not there's somebody you want to work with? What's the question you lean on? So sometimes I'll do like a stack rank question um, where I'll say, hey, why don't, you know, can you stack rank yourself on execution strategy and, you know, management or whatever it is. It, it's, it'll usually be very, very specific to the role. And what's really interesting about that question is it shows humility and self-awareness. And I would say that um, that 50% of people either can't do it or they say, oh, I'm good at all three. Or um, like it's if someone answers the question straight, it's actually like a really, really um it's an interesting moment because I would say that more people cannot answer that question than can answer it. 
That's so interesting. That really, that, I'm going to steal that one. I like that one a lot, Kate. I want to hear your biggest pinch me moment to date at Maven, where you like literally went home to your family and just said, I, I can't believe we did that. What was it? It oscillates between members and then people who work at Maven. Um, we just, I'm just humbled. We're almost, you know, we're about 400 people now. And, um, and we just have so many amazing people. And I'm, I'm just so, I mean, walking into the office now that we're kind of back in person and increasingly doing stuff. Um, you know, that's a, that's a pinch me moment because we were, I think like less than a hundred people when COVID hit. And so it's been, we've all been remote for two years and now just to have all of this kind of, all of these wonderful people working towards our mission is amazing. Um, and then it's the member stories. I mean, you know, we just launched a video um, a week ago, actually, with one of our Microsoft members. And she was talking about how Maven, you know, helped her. Um, she was diagnosed with PCOS and she thought she was going to go through IVF. Maven Fertility Awareness Educator and a Maven Nutritionist actually helped her design a routine to get pregnant naturally. And then she got pregnant naturally. And then a care team also helped her manage her high risk pregnancy. And then she had a, you know, the baby and then all of our pediatric providers kind of helped her with the baby. And to just like, that's a huge impact we just had in our life. We helped her avoid an invasive procedure. And then we helped her kind of manage the anxiety of what comes with having a high risk pregnancy. And her husband was part of the journey. And it was very, um, you know, that was definitely a pinch me moment when you, when you actually see the, the story kind of on, in a video. Last question, other than Maven, anything of the last two years, new product, new idea, new, it could be another startup. Anything that you want to give a shout out to that you've just thought was incredibly exciting? And it can be anything. Yeah, I think uh, I do some angel investing on the side. And, and so I'm really, really excited about some of the, the recent ones I've invested in. One is aimed at college women and helping mental health and reproductive health in college. One is aimed at it's actually a European company um, aimed at kind of helping all of the issues and um, around fertility regulations and getting the right support in Europe that they're, they're uh, you know, female founders. And then another one is a pediatric, uh, it's a parenting kind of texting service that I, I think parenting is still just totally broken. I mean, I, I, you know, we, we do stuff on the healthcare side, but like just my day to day as a parent, it's like way too insane. There should be, it should be way easier. Um, we're both so, smiling and laughing at the same time because we're like, I have three kids too. It's absolutely, it's like every day is an explosion. Yeah, exactly. And so um, there needs to be, you know, help there. So, so yeah, I, I would say some of, some of what I'm seeing on that front um, is, is just super exciting. And then the people tackling the problems are really exciting. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to learn more, check out mavingclinic.com and you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project, the Lex Von Tobel. Thank you guys so much. And thank you so much, Kate. 